Well, good morning, church, and welcome to part two of Summer Stories. As Sam and Bill really set the table for us last week with the story of freedom. And today we're diving into the story of transformation. And perhaps our world needs transforming more than ever as we continue to experience COVID variants, killing even members of our church in Asia, raging tropical storms, claiming lives in the Caribbean, and then this week the barbaric assassination of the president of Haiti. You know, we beg God for his kingdom to reign on earth. To be transformed is to undergo radical change. And nowhere do we see souls more transformed than when they're in God's powerful hands. And today, in order to really illustrate this idea, we're going to pull from a lot of New Testament passages written by the Apostle Paul. And to me, he really represents true spiritual transformation, going from Christian killer to Christian converter. The scales fell from his eyes, and his new self was unrecognizable from his old. In Romans chapter 12, Paul pleads with the church in Rome, saying, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You know, Rome was uh, ancient New York City, the latest in fashion and commerce and entertainment, sports and politics. And in fast-paced cultures like these, there's a pressure to conform to the world's way of speaking, dressing, treating others, making money, romance, and the list goes on. But Paul protests that, saying, pull away from that tractor beam of culture and be transformed, mind then body, by the perfect will of God. So today, we're going to really highlight the miraculous transformation of a young Manhattan teenager named Prince, who went from darkness to light, from conformed to transformed. First, let's hear from parents Toby and Anna, then Sister Star, and then from Prince himself about the challenges they all faced before his transformation. The one thing I don't want to do is sit here um, and give people an impression that Prince's transformation came about because we're great parents. If there was anything that we should do right, we did it incorrectly. Um, so I just wanted the fight that God worked with Prince regardless of our shortcoming is what made me see his power so much more. Uh, I was brought up uh, where you don't talk back. Um, I had a militaristic father and I had to fall in line. So when someone doesn't even come close to doing that, well, you have to say, uh, you have to change the way you talk to somebody. So someone would see our son, uh, and he'd be two inches taller. It says, boy, he grows up so quickly. They don't know, like, every day we had a lot of challenges. Like, I don't know. He was just very violent, very... Not just, just, just kind of like you have to watch your, watch your back around him. It's very, you know, don't say anything. Like if he says something, don't defend yourself. Just, just you know, take it. If he's mad, go to your room, close the door, because he gets kind of, and plus we both do karate and did karate. So when it was like, it wasn't little, it was like full on kicking in the stomach. Oh, got so bad. So then when he was um, 14, he started... And I'm not saying one thing had anything to do with the other. I don't know if, you know, if his diagnosis played a part, but I know it made it harder to reach him. And at 14, he started 
um, kind of living life in the fast lane. Um, things just, when you thought it couldn't get any worse, it just got worse. Every time the phone rang, we thought it was going to be the cops saying that they picked him up or that he died. That was like our, our worst nightmare. He was on two roads. It was either jail or death. What was the hardest thing about growing up in your house? Um, it's a hard question. There's a lot of things. All types of stuff, just really like, I don't know, I didn't like ever like being controlled in any type of way, you know what I'm saying? So that's a big part of it. Um, and my own problems, I was just lost, you know, yeah. in all types of ways. So it was just terrible, terrible conflict 24-7. Um, in total, I've been to about 15 schools. So whenever I go to school, that's when I'd feel free and I'd just kind of go crazy. But a lot of it was like anger too, so a lot of aggression, you know what I mean? And a lot of just everything just didn't get along too well, pretty socially distanced, yet also pretty social in like all the wrong ways. So, yeah, definitely real disrespectful to teachers, definitely kind of, um, yeah, kind of violent, I guess, I don't know. Growing up as a kingdom kid, I feel like it definitely has its positives, because like, look at me now, I had the exposure to God, the exposure to Christ, but it could be the opposite, and if, if you're pushed away from it, it could definitely be a lot harder for you to come back Yes, I got kicked out of teen camps. As a kid growing up, I don't understand too much, didn't understand too much of the world. I just kind of wanted to do what I want to do. So I'd hear people's testimonies and just be like, nah, you know what, I'm going to just party, do kind of whatever I want. And then in my 20s, I'll kind of be like, you know what, let's try this gone stuff. But it didn't exactly go like that, you know, and I realized not God's way, just really messed up my life, put me in a hole, could have killed me. You know, I really appreciate Toby and Anna's humility saying that eventually Prince's transformation was nothing they or any of us did. Of course, it's heartbreaking to hear about violence in the home. But this is where the story of transformation often begins, in brokenness. I think about it. If we only looked at the end of Esther's story, sure, we would see a queen on top, loved by her king and her people. But we wouldn't see a teenage girl caught in a sex trafficking ring run by the government itself. If we only saw David as the famous and righteous king, we'd miss out on a teenage shepherd boy who got so caught up in his rise to fame that he ends up committing adultery and murder. Let's go back in our own minds. What were you caught up in as a teenager or, or before you made the decision to follow Jesus? Let's put it in the chat. We're going to have a little mini confession session here. Just a word or two about your teenage temptations your pre-Jesus temptations. What did you feel a pressure to conform to? Was it the popularity game? Uh, was it the pressure to fit in, uh, to be smart enough or beautiful enough or strong enough? Uh, maybe you felt the temptation to, to drink or abuse substances or to lie or to live a double life. You know, as many of us are putting this in the chat, we sit in the aftermath of transformation. But we need to remember the BC days, right? The before Christ days, the roots before our transformation. It says in 1 Corinthians 1, starting in verse 26, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you 
are in Christ Jesus. You know, we are God's protest to the world. He chose us to be the tip of the spear, the light of the world. And he made sure that we couldn't boast in his victory because he does the work. And like Anna said, it was nothing we did. It was God's power. You know, some of our young people are still in this fight or are about to be. And I think it's the hardest time to be faithful. The pressure is just enormous. And it's the wild west out there. The kids are doing whatever they want. And trying to be an honest, pure, spiritual young person, that's an anomaly. So huge props to the teenagers here with us. You inspire us with your faith and your fight. Hang in there. And the rest of us, we got to be that village of support. We have teens watching right now. Show them some love in the chat. You don't have to be a parent to help raise up the next generation in the church. Hear them, love them, affirm them, fund them with money. Pray for them. You get the idea. We're all in this together, helping to raise the future of the church. But let's get back to the Crane family, because I want us all to hear about Prince's radical transformation. Prince really got into uh, something that brought the entire family to their knees, to the point where he started feeling like he just didn't want to be a part of life anymore. And we all got um, intensely scared. And every time there was a little opening, I would say, Prince, uh, I really think you should call the brothers and, and look at some scriptures with them. And he was adamant, no, no, I don't want to. And I, you know, he would get hostile and I would back away. You know, one day he picked up the phone and he called Mark and I said, okay, now, because you can't force him to do anything. Prince, if he didn't want to do it, he was going to say, no, I'm not doing it. Mm -hmm. So when he picked up that phone, I knew he had, um, it was serious. So then he picked up, they started studying. And it was amazing because in, um, it, it, it's like you, you saw this, the transformation in front of your eyes and you just saw God's power. My mom just said one thing and she said, you know, God's a jealous God. And she would always say like, oh, like you're worshiping, you're worshiping this girl or whatever. But I didn't believe it. I'm just like, she's my girlfriend. I'm not like worshiping her. I know she's not like a God or anything. But what she really meant was that she was like my everything to me and I was completely emotional dependent on our relationship and how things were with her. It just seemed like it was getting worse and worse and worse. But then slowly it started getting better and then I came home from break and it was like a completely different person. It was so random and I was like, whoa, what? What? Like he wasn't, he was just a completely different person. I was like, okay, this is cool. And it's what cool. was the reason? Because um, he started studying the Bible. Yeah. But um, when I started reading the Bible, it was something to really lean on. And when I started following the way, you know, not just reading and praying, but actually following and disciplining myself, and I took it on as a mission to constantly try to improve myself, you know, keep reading the scriptures, um, live my life that way. And it was the best thing I could have ever done. Um, I left a Bible out, a big study Bible. I remember I wrote all the studies in the Bible. I mm -hmm. chain referenced this thing. Well, that Bible was sitting in the living room, and that became his Bible. So yeah. I was so glad because I know it's nothing really I did, but there it is. And uh, and he's going into it, and then he's going into it daily. And then he's starting to come back and challenge us about a couple of things. Well, it's time for us to change again because if we don't change, then we're going to hear that H word. <laughs> you know, the hypocrite word. <laughs> it's like, okay, so we got to change. One of the big subjects comes up. They pull in another brother. The next day... There's repentance. It's done. It's gone. Is this a miracle or what? Now there's hugs and he'll talk to us. 
before he was like a stranger and it's, it's like now getting to really meet him and know who he is for the first time. Yeah, he was That's nice. Right. He was laughing. He um, um, uh, started eating more. Um, he knew how to do his hair. He has better hair than me now sometimes. I'm like, what? Um, he gave better hugs. He's, he gives me so many hugs. And sometimes I'm still when he comes near me. I'm like, oh, but like... Um, Oh my gosh, it's so weird. We like watch TV shows together, play cards. Um, <laughs> whenever my mom's like, she has to do her work, he's like, no, I don't want to be separated. So he's kind of clingy, but it's way better than it was before. So it's just like an insane difference. It's insane. I mean, it's it's such a common thing that siblings grow closer, but when I look into the future, I can see us actually being close and staying in each other's lives. I did not think was possible at all. So that's really nice. And now I take my son to work. And I love having the guy with me. And you don't have to worry where he's going now. There's no lie in where he's going. He tells him the truth. I've been a Christian for a month and a week. The, the change that I've had and that I've seen in other people too and that I know is possible in other people, that, but the change I've had is something that's just so unbelievable and it almost... It doesn't make sense when I think about how my life was before God, you know? Because of what I went through, I know that in future struggles, you know, just like I went through this, like, I'll be okay. And that's definitely great assurance to have. Uh, I want to share a scripture, Ezekiel 36:26, NIV. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove you from your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And that's what we're looking at, a new outlook. A new outlook. Amen. Okay, hang on. Giving hugs, smiling, laughing, forgiving. Who is this person? Going to work with dad, spending time with Christians, no more lying, no more violence, sharing his faith, giving advice. This prince of darkness became a prince of light. And no, he's not perfect. And yeah, he's already fallen on his face as a young Christian, but that's expected. And that's why there's grace and we're all there to help him through. But I don't want us to miss the message. What was the true catalyst for Prince's transformation? Did you catch it? Star said it first. It's because he started studying the Bible. And Prince said it himself. It's not just reading it or listening to it, but living it out. Toby said he hijacked the big living room Bible and got into it daily. Let me give you an example of Prince's devotion to the scriptures, because this is real. My son and I were picking him up because we were going to spend the day skiing together. And Prince was late, which is weird because skiing is his passion. All right. He's outstanding at it. He's like a prodigy. I'm like, where is this guy? I know he loves this. Why is he running late? I'm calling. I'm texting. And then five minutes turned into 10 minutes, turned into 20 minutes. And I'm starting to get impatient and I'm starting to get words for him. And eventually he makes it out there. And I went with the safe question first. I said, is everything okay, right? Because you never know. You don't want to assume. And he said, John, I'm so sorry. I was reading my Bible and I just lost track of time. <laughs> and I was shocked. I, I didn't have words for that. I said, Prince, in all my years in the ministry, I have never, ever heard of someone saying that they ran late because they lost track of time reading the Bible. I said, all is forgiven. Let's just get in, in the car and go. <laughs> And, and I, I started thinking, what is it about the Bible that enraptured this teenager's mind in such a way that, that he couldn't even think about the thing he's most passionate about? He was just digging in the Word. What is it about the Bible that transforms us? Sam talked about it last week. It's a, a light. It's a mirror. It's a, 
It's a way of seeing yourself clearly. And check this out. I want to add to that. In Genesis 1-3, God's word spoke our universe into existence. Let that sink in for a minute. God's word had the power to speak the universe into existence. That same word and the words of God were miraculously carved into a couple of stone tablets for his people to live by out of Exodus. And God's word was embedded in the minds of the prophets, preached throughout the generations. And then those words would be in, inscribed onto parchment, which would eventually become the Hebrew scriptures, our Old Testament. And then God would send his son on a rescue mission to earth. In John 1, 14, it says, the word became flesh. And we know who that is. That's Jesus. So side note, if anyone says that they know Jesus, but they don't know the Bible, then they really don't know Jesus, do they? Because he is the word. The word became flesh. That's Jesus. And even at the age of 12, Jesus is reading from those same scrolls, reciting from memory the wisdom of the word, even as he debates with Satan in the desert. And in Matthew alone, the Hebrew scriptures are quoted 99 times. In Luke 24:45, Jesus opened the disciples' minds so they could understand the scriptures. We have four Gospels written and recorded for the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And then those words would be added to the canon, which we call the Bible. And then Paul would come along, the apostle abnormally born, and he would hear the word of God, write it down, sometimes even from prison, giving instruction to the church. Guys, this isn't just some antiquated book that looks good on a shelf, makes us seem spiritual. Hebrews 4.12 says the word is alive and active. It's generating change in the present tense. It is real. It's the most relevant thing that we have, constantly adapting to our present situation and circumstances and transforming our lives forever. Many of us have heard the Greek term metanoia before. Meta meaning after or changed and noia meaning mind. This word metanoia is a, a radically changed mindset, a, a new outlook, a paradigm shift. God wants our minds. He, he wants us to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. In Psalm 10.4, the psalmist talks about the wicked who don't seek God. In all their thoughts, there's no room for God. They got so much other stuff in there that there's no room for God. And so in other words, God is competing for mental real estate. There's a world trying to compete for it, and God wants it. The world's trying to teach us how to think and what to say and what to do and how to make money and how to reach the top. And God's saying, no, listen to me. I want a relationship with you. It's a competition for our minds. So when we read the scriptures, it's appropriate that the first word of John the Baptist is metanoia. Change your mind. Experience a liberation of the mind. He says metanoia, the kingdom is near. It's the same word that Jesus says, produce fruit in keeping with your metanoia. Then it's used another two dozen times in the New Testament. The problem is we don't really read ancient Greek that much. Uh, this word metanoia has a different word in the English. So let me just retrace it real quick. Some of us already know where this is going. When the Greek was first translated into Latin in Jerome's Vulgate, we see metanoia translated into the Latin agate penitentium. What does that sound like? Penitentium kind of sounds like a penitentiary, right? Like do penance. And for another 1,200 years, that was the word that was used. Then Wycliffe comes along, translates the Bible into English, and so we get do penance from agate penitentium from the Latin. So things start to change, right? We're sort of losing something in translation. And after Wycliffe did that, the reformers thought, okay, we're just going to roll with this for now. Then Tyndale's Bible uses the word repent, which is a little bit confusing because like pent again, 
This sounds like more punishment. Today we reclaim God's word, and we do every time we read the Bible and discover its true intent by changing our minds and living into our repentance as a liberation of the mind. This is not punishment. This is freedom. Internalizing the words of God brings us his power, his spirit into us. It's the unexplainable, undeniable source of a soul's change within. Remember back to the Crane family. Prince's mother, Anna, says one thing that really clicked for him, right? It's the thing that made him pick up the phone and call the brothers to try to start studying the Bible and get help for his relationship with God. And she quoted a scripture. She said, God is a jealous God. And and that's not just one passage. It's all over the Bible. That's Exodus, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Nahum. It's even in 2 Corinthians. See, Anna uttered the words of God. That same power that spoke the universe into existence, like inception, the idea grew in Prince's mind. Like it says in Ephesians 1, it wasn't just the same power that spoke the universe into existence. In Ephesians 1.19, it says it's the same power that rose Christ from the dead. That's the power we tap into when we read the Bible, when we digest the scripture. It's an otherworldly, radically dynamic, transformative power when we digest the holy word of God. And here's where the experts try to keep pace with God. All right, check this out. We know minds can change. We like, well, I change my mind all the time. But a hundred years of neuroscience says it was physically and scientifically impossible that we were born with certain brains hardwired in a particular way can't be changed. But in the last 20 years, brain scans and new technology reveal something called neuroplasticity. That's a fancy way of saying the brain can change, that it can heal from trauma, that it can be rewired, that addicts can get sober and sin can be stopped. So when God says, renew your minds, when God says metanoia, he really meant it. And now science confirms that God was right the whole time. I was reading this book called uh, Theology and the Science of Moral Action. It's about cognitive neuroscience and multiple award-winning neurospecialists write the following. I'm going to read a little bit of it. It says, compassionate responding over time may well literally rework neural connections such that egocentrism is transformed into compassionate being. A life lived, informed by Jesus as moral exemplar, may lead to changes in neurochemistry, which transform Paul's claim that it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, from Galatians 2.20, from metaphor to reality. I love this quote. What is this saying? It's basically saying there's scientific proof for metanoia. That that neurochemistry, your brain actually changes to make you a different person, going from egocentric to compassionate and empathetic and selfless, that it actually transforms your life. (laughs) These are God's words articulated by modern academics. It's just like when Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures. That's what's happening in our world. Science trying to catch up to God and his word. And that's what we do now when we open the Bible together. And that's what we do every time we open the scriptures on our own to be transformed. Now, I know I've experienced this in my personal life over and over again in my faith journey. I'll be convinced of something spiritually or scripturally. Then I come across a Bible verse that maybe I hadn't really thought about before, or someone mentioned something to me or some insight, and it's transforming, changes me. I'll give you an example. This may be hard to believe, and it might offend some people, but uh, at the risk of doing that for the sake of, of this example, bear with me. 
I used to hate dogs. I actually used to hate all pets, but especially dogs. I had some bad experiences. I got chased growing up. I got bit. Uh, had nightmares. So I was that guy. Uh, later on in adulthood, trauma that just still I projected onto all dogs. Didn't matter how clean or nice or tiny your dog was. I just wasn't interested. I'd recoil. No, thank you. I, like, honey, I don't want to go over that place. They got a dog. My knee would be up on the street if the dog got close to me. I'm like ready to kick. I just was okay. Fear motivated again. I'm sorry. So there I am one day, explaining my fear of dogs, my hatred of dogs to a good friend Ryan McCullough. And he says, John, have you ever seen that verse in Proverbs chapter 12? And I said, I don't think so. So he reads me verse 10. The righteous care for the needs of their animals, but the kindest acts of the wicked are cruel. And of course, I heard that and I was immediately debating. I was like, that's out of context. But the idea was in there. The Bible had already embedded itself into my brain. And, you know, my family had wanted a dog for a long time. And next thing you know, I'm looking at puppies. And something happened where the family was somewhere else at the time, and I had an appointment, and so I'm there, and I'm looking at dogs, and I'm by myself, and I see this little eight-week-old Shih Tzu poodle that had just come out of surgery. And that was it. Scriptural inception. I was done. Our dog, Raina, is part of the family now. She is our emotional support, our fluffy comfort. And not only do I love her, but she's changed my whole mindset about dogs, my best friend Jonathan is still shocked. He's like, are you the same person? I don't even recognize you. But this is one example of the power of the word of God. And I got to ask all of us, are you still being transformed by the word of God? Do you examine it eagerly every day, like it says in Acts 17? And, you know, we love telling people that we're part of a Bible-based church, right? That's the first thing I usually say when people ask me about it. But hear this. You can't say you're part of a Bible-based church if you're not in your Bible. You are the church. What you do is what the church does. And COVID has been crazy. I get it. But isn't that more of a reason to tap into the extraordinary power of God's word? You know, Prince himself, he says when he knows a big day is ahead, he likes to read extra that morning. And he gets that spiritual backing for the day. It reminds me of Isaiah 55, verse 11. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve, the purpose for which I sent it. Never doubt what the Debar Yahweh can do. Sometimes its seeds even grow when people are asleep. The divine logos permeates our neurosynapses in ways that we may not understand until heaven. In fact, there's a new field emerging called neurotheology that's trying to explain it. So when you share a passage with a friend on FaceTime or a coworker during lunch or with someone you just met on the train or maybe you're reading the Bible at family dinner and you don't think any of the kids are paying attention, know this, God's word never returns empty. It does exactly what it's supposed to do. It didn't seem like Prince was ever listening, but he was. And the word was getting in there, germinating faith. In Colossians 1, 21 and 22, Paul says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. You know, like us all, Prince's mind had made God an enemy, but through Jesus' death and resurrection, Prince stands before us all transformed. And God must have laughed on his baptism day because Prince just happened to put on his Transformers t-shirt. 
All right, he was completely transformed from the inside out. You know, 2 Peter 3.9 says God wants all people to come to metanoia. And that mind change is persuasive and contagious. You can't argue with a transformed life. When someone is truly different, right? There's nothing you can say. It's a fact. And it's also contagious. You know, it's one way that God accomplishes his word being passed from person to person. Stories like Prince's, stories like yours. In fact, his sister Star says that she wants to start studying the Bible now. And I pray it inspires us all, no matter how long we've known Jesus, to redevote ourselves to the power of the word. The same word that spoke all of this into existence. So now as we pray to remember that cross of transformation, let's take the bread and cup with eager anticipation of where God will take us and his church next. Let's pray for the communion. Father in heaven, thank you for giving us the opportunity to be truly transformed from the inside out. We, we are eternally indebted to you for the living word that you gave us at the beginning of time, that you spoke all this into existence with your word. And then that word is still what we get to dig into in our Bibles. Father, help us to, to value the time and devote to the time, reading your word, digesting it and living into it as if we were spending time with Jesus himself. We see the transformation of Prince and his family, and it reminds us of our own metanoia moments. We thank you for Jesus' death and resurrection, which makes all of this possible. We pray for our world, our nation, and the souls of all creation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.